Welcome to another great message by Pastor Adrian Wright, lead pastor at Anchor Church. We pray this message will encourage, inspire, and transform your life. Our heart is to share the hope of Jesus with our city and nation. I want to share a message with you this morning entitled, Established. All right, why don't you just turn to the person next to you and say, you are established. And then turn to the, your second choice on the other side and say, we are established. We are established. God has told us that his journey for us is to establish us, is to confirm us, is to restore us, is to strengthen us, is to cause us to be rooted and grounded in him. And I realized that here at the seventh birthday of Anchor Church Joburg, we can no longer call ourselves a church plant. We can no longer call ourselves a young church or a, a, a newly planted church, even though, you know, compared to others, we may still be fairly young. But at seven years, I believe that this is the time that we can now begin to build on the foundation that God has established in us over the period of the last seven years. They say that churches grow in cycles of seven years. And in these past seven years, I think God has, through everything that we've endured, everything that we've gone through, everything that the devil has thrown out at us, God has actually created through those things a foundation. Every stone that the enemy threw at us, God allowed us to catch and put into the foundations of who we are. And it's not just about a building. It's not just about an organization. It's not just about systems and processes. It's about a spiritual people. The Bible says that you are a spiritual house. You are living stones built together, coming together to house the presence and the spirit of God. We are a holy temple to God. And every single one of you is a stone in this house. And God has established us so that we can fulfill a great calling. I want to go to 1 Peter 5, which is Brent's favorite scripture in the Bible, favorite chapter of the Bible. And, um, and we've spoken about it a lot. I know that he's dealing with it amongst the young adults. They're talking about this and in his community group. Uh, but we were talking about this, and we really believe that this is a word in season for our church. 1 Peter chapter 5. And we're going to just read from verse 6 if you have your Bibles. And I encourage you to bring your Bibles to church and, and read from them and write in them. But 1 Peter 5 verse 6 says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. Surrender yourself, bring yourself, offer yourself to God. I'm not trying to do this in my own strength. I'm humbling myself to God and submitting to His mighty hand so that at the proper time He may exalt you. Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion um, seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. This is not unique to our community. And after you have suffered a little while, after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to 
His eternal glory in Christ will Himself, He'll come and do this. He will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. God, the God of all grace, will Himself come and establish you. To Him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. The dominion, the power, the sovereignty is His. And so it doesn't matter what you're journeying through, God will use those sufferings to establish, to confirm, to restore, and to strengthen you. When we say yes to the call of God in our lives, we say yes to an adventure greater than anything that we could imagine. We could never imagine all the twists and turns, all the ups and downs, all the things that we go through, all the, the adventure that we will experience. There's so much life and so much joy and so much beauty and substance in living that kind of life that honestly, I couldn't imagine living my life any other way. I have a hard time relating to people that want to simply get by or people that are simply pursuing a temporal comfort in this world, when your whole existence is about being as comfortable as possible and having, uh, you know, just physical things or earthly things, homes and cars, and when that's your only pursuit, I, I honestly can't imagine trying to live life and being fulfilled in that way. At the end of the day, what we're all up for is a fight. We're all up for this incredible fight that we've decided to partake in because we are not content leading inconsequential, comfortable lives. That's not okay for us. We want more than that. We have been established and enlisted to fight for something greater, something that's filled with significance and worth and meaning because success without significance, is shallow. It's shallow. It only goes an inch deep. It doesn't produce substance and worth in this life. Success without significance. You can be successful, but you could be insignificant in what you do with your success. And so, what a great life we get to lead. That we get to face even hardships sometimes, but knowing that it is all for an eternal purpose. Eugene Peterson said this. He said, there's nothing to fear in the act of fighting. Danger here is all in the not fighting. That's where the danger lies. The safest place to be is on the battlefield because that's where Jesus is. My greatest fear in life something that I have wrestled with my whole life is not that I might face difficulty, but that I might never face difficulty and live an inconsequential life. I want my life to be used for the glory of God, for the purpose that, for which God created me. You might have seen in our cafe, we've put some decals up and one of them says that Together, we are pursuing the purpose for which Christ pursued us. That's something that we said from the very beginning, that when Jesus stepped into your life, he stepped into your life because he had a purpose for your life. And so we want to pursue the thing for which Christ pursued us. And we gave the dimensions to the company printing that decal, and it was supposed to be three meters in width 
and they accidentally did it in four meters. And it was almost like God just wanted to highlight it. We'll fix it by next week. But for this Sunday, God is saying that I have created you with a purpose to pursue. And I am working in you to pursue the thing that I created you for. And as we do that, we will know life and life abundantly, the kind of life that God has called us to live. C.S. Lewis said, hardships often prepare ordinary people for an extraordinary destiny. Hardships often prepare ordinary people for a destiny that is extraordinary. So when we say yes to the call of God, like we did when we launched Anchor Church together seven years ago, or like you may very well do today, saying yes to God in your own heart, it doesn't mean that the journey will always be easy, but it does mean that it'll be worth it. It'll be worth it. And it has been so worth it. We see a few examples of this in the scriptures. This is biblical and this is what we see Jesus kind of not making any excuses for this. Because he knows what the process is going to produce. When he calls Paul into ministry, Paul has this encounter with the Holy Spirit on the way to Damascus. And he is led into Damascus and God calls a Christian by the name of Ananias, which means grace, to go and pray for Paul. And Ananias is worried and says, but do you know who this man is? Do you know what this guy has done? Do you know what his history looks like? He has persecuted the Christians. He is public enemy number one. Isn't it amazing how God often chooses the ones that everybody else thinks there's no way? It's something we learned this week when we were in Zambia, something that Jake and Phil Smithist have shared with us before, when they have said that unless you can see the nations in an individual, God can't give you the nations. Sometimes we look at people, we got to start seeing them the way Jesus sees them. What can God do through this life, a simple life surrendered to the power and the process of God? And so God says to Ananias, don't worry about, don't worry about this guy I'm calling you to. And he says in verse, uh, Acts 9 verse 15, he says, but it says, but the Lord said to Ananias, to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. There'll be suffering. There'll be hardship. There'll be a journey. There'll be a process. Jesus had this really encouraging breakfast with Peter after Peter denied Jesus and went back to fishing and Jesus resurrected, shows up on the beach and Peter sees Jesus from the boat and he dives into the water and the boat comes along and Jesus is making a little braai on the beach there and he says to Peter, bring some fish. Let's eat together. Share a meal. Let's share our lives. And after doing all of that, Jesus says this to Peter in John 21, verse 18 to 19. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This Jesus said to show by what kind of death he was going to glorify God, by what kind of death Peter would glorify God. And after saying this to him, he said, follow me. After saying to Peter that when you were young, you used to dress yourself and go where, where you wanted to go. But as, but as you walk forward in the destiny and the calling I have for you, there's a time where you will be arrested and you will be, somebody else will dress you and they will take you to places that you do not want to go. You will die for me, Peter. 
follow me. Imagine if we put that invitation out. Like we're, you know, our, our, our messaging this week has been like, we've got food trucks and dunk tanks and, you know, donuts and amazing. Hey, why don't you come to church? People are like, ah, oh, I guess if there's donuts, you know. <laughs> Imagine if the invitation on text this week was, hey, just come. We'll dress you and take you where you do not want to go and you'll die for Jesus. Come. How many people do you think would be in church this morning? Jesus makes no bones about this. He's just like, you will die for me. Follow me. This is the same Jesus who said, I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. And I think that sometimes we have substituted God's definition of life for our own. What it means to live an abundant life. We've decided that that looks like wealth and comfort and, and power and, and, and all kinds of earthly things. And Jesus says, maybe you're missing out. Maybe you're missing out. Maybe you've missed the mark on your definition of what a full life looks like. He says to Peter, you'll be put to death for following me. For following me. So follow me. And Peter ended up living a greater life than many of us could dream. And the reason he did is because his authority was in the revelation of the love that God had for him. When he was eventually crucified, as Jesus had prophesied he would be, he said, I'm not worthy of being crucified like my Lord. Crucify me upside down. Even in his death, he wanted to glorify the name of Jesus and did not feel that it was right for him to be put to death in the same way that his Savior was. That man had a revelation of who Jesus was in that love. I was reading the, the, the children's version. I started this years ago um, every evening when I put my boys to bed. I read them different books and I would read them, uh, you know, some of the classics and, and some Christian books and some Bible stories and different things that we've gone through over the years. And they love it. Every night when I put them to bed, they know if they're not in bed at least 15 minutes earlier than, uh, you know, than bedtime, then there'll be no reading. So they're always ready to get to bed and to be read to. And so recently I started reading the children's version of the Pilgrim's Progress to my boys. And at one point, this Pilgrim's Progress uh, in the children's version is this little rabbit, this little bunny that is on his way to the celestial city. Um, and, uh, and he has to go uh, through the narrow gate. And at the narrow gate, after passing through the narrow, the narrow gate, he has to come to the house of the interpreter who will show him a revelation of who the Father is. And after going through that revelation and seeing who the Father is, the great king of the celestial city, he then moves on to the cross. He couldn't go on the journey without coming to the cross. And at the cross, his burden that he had been carrying up until that point is removed. And now he is assured that on this journey, as he moves forward, that the king will always be with him. And at that point, he is given a scroll of authority that is his scroll to enter into the celestial city. And on his way, as he's walking, two tabby cats coming from a little town called Vainglory jump over the wall. And they come to where Christian is, this little rabbit. And they say to him, hey, we're here. We come from this other town. And we jumped over the wall. And he says, but did you go via the cross? 
Did you go to the cross? Where's your scroll? And they say, no, why? Why would we need to? We could just make our own way. And we're on the same path that you're on now. So in the end of the day, we've ended up in the same place. And so the two tabby cats and this rabbit, they carry on on the path. And soon they come to a hill with rocks on it, a difficult path. And the two tabby cats decide that that path looks too difficult. Those rocks look too sharp. And, though, and so they choose alternative routes. And in the process of going on the alternative routes, because they haven't come to the place where they understand the presence of the king. Where they understand that when you face difficulties, God is with you. They haven't got that revelation because they didn't go via the cross. They didn't come to where 1 Peter 5 says, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. They're doing all of it in their own strength. And that's really what a lot of Christianity and a lot of Christians, how they, how they live, they don't really come to the point of the cross where they kneel before the cross and say, God, I give my life to you. I surrender. It's your strength. It's your grace. You are the God of all power. You are the God of all grace. I cannot take this journey on without you being present with me. I need your authority and I need you to remove my burdens. No, a lot of Christians decide that in their own strength, they'll climb over the wall in their own righteousness. And so when the difficulty comes, they don't have the courage to face it. That rabbit standing in front of that road said, the king promised he'd always be with me. So I'm going to continue on the journey. But the two tabby cats decided to follow their own path and in the process were utterly lost in their desire to save themselves. You see, you cannot produce authority through comfort. Authority comes through authenticity. You have to have a journey. You have to have an encounter with the Spirit of God. This is one thing in this world that you cannot fake. You cannot fake trust in Jesus. You either have it or you don't. And the difficult roads will reveal how much you trust. Authority comes through authenticity as you learn to lean on Christ in the midst of difficult times. That's what the testing of your faith is all about. So as I was writing this message, I wrote this sentence down. Learning to lean will teach you to leap. Learning to lean on the sufficiency of Christ will teach you to leap in those moments when God gives you those opportunities, when God calls you to difficult things, when God calls you to step into your purpose, you will leap if you've learned to lean. When we know through experience that God is, fail, that God is faithful, that He never fails, that, that His love always endures, when you hear His voice say, go, your response will be, yes, Lord. I trust you. I believe in you. I'm going to take this journey. We look at David in the scriptures. He was but a boy, but had the faith to stand up to Goliath. Where did he get that confidence from? Where did he get the audacity to take on a giant that had been terrorizing the whole army of Israel for two weeks, mocking them? And a little shepherd boy, maybe 12 years old, steps up and says, who is this Philistine that 
defies the armies of God. Who is he? In 1 Samuel 17, verse 33 to 37, we read this. It says, And Saul said to David, You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. For Saul says this to David, For you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, You, your servant, used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, the Lord who has delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. You see, when, when David faced Goliath, it wasn't his first battle. Hey, Brent, can we ask maybe the, the kids guys just to take the kids into the class there? We, I think they're playing. We've got soft play for all the kids today, and, and they're obviously having a, a grand old time there. But it wasn't David's first battle. It wasn't the first time he had come up against some hardship in his life. Previously, he had fought against the bear. As a boy, imagine the courage that comes up in your heart. Imagine how much faith you have in God's ability if you're but a boy looking after some sheep and a lion comes along and takes one of the sheep. How many of you would be like, pay the tax, man? You know, I'm not chasing after that lion. A bear comes along and grabs one of the lambs and you're like, another one lost. It's okay. We have more. But David, in representing the heart of the Father and, and in his faith in God, pursued the lion, pursued the lamb, grabbed it by the beard. I didn't even know that bears had beards. And struck it, and God gave David the victory. So now he comes against the biggest challenge he's ever had in his life. And he says, the same God who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from this man, from this giant. You see, he had a journey. And in that journey, he was established in the faithfulness of God. And so every battle that David fought after that, he knew that God was with him. This is why James says in James 1 verse 2 to 4, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. It's producing something. Steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. You see, so many times we, we carry a heavy disdain for hardship in our lives. And it's difficult to have joy in those moments. And we do not glorify suffering but we do see the glory of God in the midst of suffering. In the midst of hardship, God is busy creating steadfastness. And that steadfastness will have an effect on your life that will cause you to be perfect and complete, shaped into the image of Christ, lacking in nothing. You see, the path of Christian maturity 
of world-changing authority and true leadership and faith is not always smooth, but it's always good. And some of you have been through some hardships. Some of you have taken some knocks. But I want to tell you, God uses the bumps in the road to mold us into His image. And you can be confident that the good work that God has begun in you, He will be faithful to complete. Charles Spurgeon said, I have learned to kiss the waves that throw me up against the rock of ages. To kiss the wave that throws me against the rock of ages. When we started Anchor Church, I had no idea of the challenges and the difficulties that we would face. For those of you that have been on the journey, you would know that the enemy did everything in his power to discourage and destroy us. But yet the Spirit of God kept saying to us, never give up, never give up, never give up. I wanna speak that word into your life this morning. Never give up, never give up, never give up. And the less we gave up, the more we grew up. The less you give up today, the more you will grow up in Christ. This is the journey that God takes us on. I often told people that when we, when we started Anchor, that one word or one image that kept coming to my mind is how we would describe those early years of starting a church, of stepping out and trusting God would be something like a flower that is growing out between a concrete sidewalk in New York City. You know, where there's thousands of feet just moving across and I felt so vulnerable. That's the word in the beginning. We felt so vulnerable. We felt that at any moment, something or someone would come and trample on us and we would be finished. And I carried the emotional weight for those first few years of the vulnerability of who we were as a community. But you know what I realized over time? Is that the church is a lot less like a flower and a lot more like a weed. You just can't get rid of it. You just cannot destroy it. I mean, we've got this vine. It's a weed that's growing next to one of the trees in our garden. And we cut that thing down every summer. We pull all of the vine tree. Thing that we can to to make sure that, the, that it doesn't grow back. We even poured petrol on the roots. And every time the spring comes, that thing just climbs right back up. You know why? We are rooted and grounded in the immovable, sovereign God of heaven and earth. And so whatever comes against us, even if we are hard-pressed, we cannot be destroyed I want you to know that if you are established in Christ every single thing the enemy does to try and destroy you simply establishes you further isn't it amazing that if you pull up a weed from your lawn and you don't do it right all you're doing is creating more weeds it just causes it to spread and this is really what the church is like 
For over 2,000 years, governments, empires, dictators, rulers, movements have tried to end the church. And yet, the more persecution we face, the more we flourish. It's just who we are. There are things that we as a church are not even trying to be anymore. Because it's just simply who God has caused us to become. We are faithful. We always endure. We always continue on. Because that's who God has caused us to be. And so the journey starts with a cross. And after you have suffered a little while, 1 Peter 5 tells us that this God of all grace for His own eternal glory, will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. He will restore. How many of you need restoration this morning? He will confirm who you are in Christ, His love for you. He will strengthen. He'll put some iron in your blood. He'll give you the reassurance of the presence of the Holy Spirit and establish you so that you will become, as the Bible says, like that cedar of Lebanon, that tree planted by the, by the river that produces fruit in every season because you've had a journey. And so what I believe is that Everything that we've been through in these past seven years has been God doing just that. And I believe that what He is going to do in the days that lie ahead, in these next seven years, I think God is going to use these next seven exponentially as He accelerates our journey, causes us to do more great things in this city and in this nation and in this world that we even ever dreamed of far more than we could ask, think, or imagine. He's taken seven years to establish us, and now He is sending us. And with everything that we've gone through, God will restore. He will confirm. He will strengthen, and He will establish. And we as a church, and I'm not talking about the organization, I'm not talking about the leaders, I'm not talking about me and my wife, or the elders, I'm talking about every single one of us. God is going to use us to do great things. We are going to fulfill the call that God has in our lives. Amen? Come on, Anchor Church. We're going to step up to that call. We're going to say yes to that call. We're going to fulfill every part of the potential that God has given us. I really believe that that's what's going to happen. And it is going to bless your life more than you can imagine. So today, really, all the glory belongs to Him. All the glory belongs to Jesus, the God of all grace. We would be utterly lost without Him. Why don't you just stand with me for a moment this morning?